0: And ye have seen all that the Lord your God hath done unto all these nations because of you. For the Lord your God is he that hath fought for you. Behold, I have divided unto you by lot these nations that remain to be an inheritance for your tribes from Jordan with all the nations that I have cut off even unto the great sea westward. And the Lord your God, he shall expel them from before you and drive them out from out of your sight. And ye shall possess their land as the Lord your God hath promised unto you. Be therefore very courageous to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, that ye turn not aside therefrom to the right hand or to the left. That ye come not among these nations, these that remain among you, neither make mention of the names of their gods, nor cause to swear by them, neither serve them, nor bow yourselves unto them. But cleave unto the Lord your God, as he has, as ye have done unto this day. For the Lord hath driven out from before you great nations and strong. But as for you, no man hath been able to stand before you unto this day. One man of you shall chase a thousand. For the Lord your God, he it is that fighteth for you as he hath promised you. Take good heed therefore unto yourselves that ye love the Lord your God. Else if ye do in any wise go back and cleave unto the remnant of these nations, even these that remain among you, and shall make marriages with them and go in unto them and they to you. Know for a certainty that the Lord your God will no more drive out any of these nations from before you. But they shall be snares and traps unto you, and scourges in your sides, and thorns in your eyes, until you perish from off this good land which the Lord your God hath given you. And behold, this day I am going the way of all the earth, and ye know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one thing hath failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spake concerning you. All are come to pass unto you, and not one thing hath failed thereof. Therefore it shall come to pass that as all good things are come upon you, which the Lord your God promised you, so shall the Lord bring upon you all evil things, until he have destroyed you from off this good land which the Lord your God hath given you. When ye have transgressed the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and have gone and served other gods, and bowed yourselves to them, then shall the anger of the Lord be kindled against you, and ye shall perish quickly from off the good land which he hath given unto you. And let's pray. Lord, it's a privilege to be in your house today. We thank you for saving us. We thank you for the resurrection. We thank you that you are all powerful and have victory over death. We ask now for wisdom as we study your word, that as always you would allow your word to transform our lives and allow us to be more pleasing to You. And we ask it in Jesus' name, Amen. Well, Joshua chapter 23 is, is of course, you know, we're nearing the end of the book. And Joshua is calling the the people together to deliver these farewell addresses. Next week when we're in chapter 24, we'll look at another one of his his last words as he is close to death no mention is made here in verse in this chapter as to where Joshua has called these people to gather uh, most of the gatherings were in Shiloh once they had moved the headquarters from Gilgal to Shiloh but it doesn't say that uh, some believe that possibly given Joshua's old age uh, maybe he was unfit for very much travel and so this could possibly have even been to his hometown we, we don't know for sure it's clear in chapter 1 uh, and in chapter 3 in the book of Joshua that when Joshua would call the leaders together it was it was made clear that then they were to pass on whatever message he had for them to the people and you'll notice here that it says all Israel Joshua called for all Israel in verse number 2 And so whether or not he delivered the message to the leaders and then expected them to pass it on, you know, that's really not of critical importance because I I think the, the, the point is, is that all the people were to get the message one way or another, whether it was directly from Joshua or, or passed on through the leaders. This verse here, the first, the first verse says this was a long time after the Lord had given them rest. And most believe this was probably the last year of Joshua's life. These last two chapters, 23 and 24, we, we don't know that for sure. We know in verse 29 of, of chapter 24 that Joshua was 110 years old when he died. We know all the way back in verse, or in chapter 13, verse 1, that the Lord had told Joshua that he was getting old, that he was stricken in age. And, you know, Joshua is, he's, you know, again, he's probably nearing about 110 years old. When the conquest began at the beginning of the book, Joshua was about 83 years old and the conquest was seven years. And so he would have been a, around 90 years old when the, the major battles had ended. And so when this verse says that this was a long time after the Lord had given them rest, probably close to two decades had gone by. Probably this long time encompassed Joshua's age from about 90 to age 110 so Joshua has had a long time to observe how the people are behaving, how they are interacting with the remaining Canaanites. Um, he's, you know, been very perceptive. And, and so this message that he delivers them, I'm sure, is based a lot on what he has, has witnessed and what he has observed and, and the dangers that he sees that lie ahead. And And I think as we look at the rest of the chapter, we'll see what his primary concerns are. All of the the people there mentioned in verse number 2, the judges and their officers and their heads, I mean, this would have encompassed anyone with any amount of influence at all, anyone in any position of leadership, whether it was a religious leader, a governmental official, or someone who was responsible for carrying out the enforcement of the laws. This would have included everybody. One of the commentators made a, a statement where he said people generally follow the example of their leadership. And that's certainly a hard statement to quantify. Um, you know, I thought long and hard about that, and and obviously there's some truth to it, but but how much truth there is to it, I don't know. And 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 I think each situation is probably different. We know that Paul encouraged Timothy to be a good leader. He said, "Be thou an example of the believer," because I would assume Paul obviously would have would have thought that. Other believers would have been then been influenced by Timothy's behavior, as Paul viewed himself as an example. So certainly that's probably a true statement, but again, to varying degrees. Also, we see here in verse number two, Joshua admits that he is old and that age has taken its toll. And, you know, in, in chapter 13, verse one, God told Joshua he was old. Now, in this chapter, at least twice, Joshua is the one that's admitting that he is old. I remember when, when I, years ago at, at, at a former church, we had a, an older man, a very faithful man in the church. He had been a member since 1949, uh, for over 50 years, and, um, he, he died at a hundred, he, he was 99 and, and 15 or 11 months. He was a month short of a hundred. And he had had a car accident when he was about 94, and, uh, you know thankfully he wasn't hurt bad he was in the hospital for a while and and some other people were hurt and he began to talk immediately about how he was looking for another car and several of the older men in the church i mean relatively young compared to him began to tell him you know Walt you can't drive anymore it's you're 94 you need to give it up and he didn't want to hear that. And so they got they, they talked Pastor Shirley into going and seeing him while he was still in the hospital. Because he they knew that Pastor Shirley was the only one that he was going to listen to. And Pastor Surley went to him and he said, Walt, you can't drive anymore. You better stop looking for a car. And Walt said, Okay, okay. But everybody knew, unless it was Pastor Surley telling him that, he wasn't gonna listen. He didn't want to admit that age had taken its toll and that he was he had a lot to be thankful for that he hadn't caused a lot more, you know, damage in that accident that he had had. Well, Joshua's was to that point. He recognizes that, you know, his time is up. He, you know, as he says there in verse 14, he's going the way of all the earth. Everybody's going to die. He's no exception. He's no different. Turn back to Leviticus chapter 19. Leviticus chapter 19, verse number 32. It says, Thou shalt rise up before the hoary head and honor the face of the old man and fear thy God, I am the Lord. There's no mention that this gathering, that attendance was required. I think it's probably implied. Um... But according to Leviticus there we are to have respect for our elders. Um, certainly that sentiment is echoed in the New Testament. First Timothy five one says, Rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father, and the elder women as mothers. And there are other there's plenty of other scriptures in the New Testament that we could look at that we don't have time to look at that, that certainly uh, command us to have respect for our elders. In this case Hopefully, every one of these men would have viewed this as an opportunity that they wouldn't want to pass up. They shouldn't have viewed this as a, as an oppor- you know, as, as mandatory and, uh, a drudgery, a dread to have to go listen to Joshua speak. They should have cherished the opportunity. They, they should have been able to see that the, the kind of life that he led and the kind of, and the kind of example that he set, whatever he would have had to have said to them would be worthwhile and beneficial. They should not have in any way dreaded having this, you know, going and listening to this, this speech. In verse number three, Joshua begins his speech. He goes on and, and gets to the heart of what his real matter is. And, you know, his, his main concern here is their relationship to God, their faithfulness to God. His speech is not about the economy. It is not about you know, how prosperous they have been, how wonderful the land is, and, and he doesn't start listing all of the rich benefits that they have all received as a result of the land. No, his concern is their faithfulness to the Lord. Matthew Henry said, as we near the end of our life, it becomes much clearer what is really important. We begin to see things in the light of eternity. I, I can see that that's very true. I know that there's a lot of things in my life that certainly aren't as important to me at age 47 than they were as at age 27. And I think the older we get, the, the easier it is to distinguish when we, when we look at 1 Corinthians 3:11 through 15, the easier it is to distinguish between gold, silver, and precious stones and wood, hay, and stubble. And I think that's the point that Josh was trying to get across to these people. He wants them to do things that are going to count for eternity. He wants to do things that are going to demonstrate their allegiance to the Lord. It should be all of our earnest desire to leave our children with a sense of duty to God. Uh, certainly material things are important, but they are, they are of much less importance than the relationship with the Lord. In, in chapter one, verse number eight, God had promised Joshua success, and I think Joshua knows I think he knew then, but he certainly understands it even better now. He knows how to define success, and it isn't the size of the house that you live in or the size of the bank account that you have or anything like that. Those are none of the things that Joshua chooses to emphasize here in chapter 23. He reminds them here in verse number 3 that they have seen with their own eyes what God has done. He tells them that God has done it. God did it. He doesn't say I did it or even we did it. He says God has done it. God is the one that has driven out the nations. God is the one who can quickly replace them as easily as he gave them this land. He can, he can boot them out. And recounting what God has done for us in the past certainly should give us sure, certainty, you know, I underscores just how faithful can get, you know, we shouldn't doubt that God is also going to be faithful in the future. We have to sometimes take a step back and and look at things with the bigger picture and, and count our blessings and realize what God has done. Certainly, I know that in my life, spiritually, God has saved me. That's first and foremost. He has given me a good church. But even beyond my spiritual blessings, you know, I can certainly point to a lot of material blessings that the Lord has given me. This week, I had a, a car where, where the, the transmission went out. I could be discouraged about that, but the car had 257,000 miles. How can I complain? The transmission could have went out when it had 157,000 miles or 57,000 miles. How, how can I complain about that? I can't. The Lord has been very good. And that's that's what Joshua's was telling these people. He's saying the Lord has been extremely good to them. I think Joshua understands that Sometimes it's it's actually easier, in, in some ways it would have been easier for these people to have been faithful to the Lord during the, the seven-year conquest because there was all of the excitement of watching the, the miracles and watching the, the power of the Lord being displayed. And yet, you know, they, they kind of forget about the power of the Lord in their everyday lives. Sometimes it can be more difficult to be faithful to the Lord in the mundane, everyday routine of life. And that's, I think, what Joshua wants to the message to get across to them. You know, don't get bored. Don't let up. You know, God, it's the same God that that gave you all the victories and the battles during the conquest, and He will continue to fight for you. That's what He says. Keep your focus on Him. In verse number four, Joshua tells them that they have a lasting inheritance, a good land. There are still some Canaanites there, but notice the tense in which these things are stated. God doesn't say, I will divide unto you. He says, I have divided. I have divided these lots by these. I had divided unto you by lot these nations. Notice the end of the verse. He says, "I have cut off." Not, "I will cut off." I have cut off. God already had worked this all out for them. Verse number five is a call for them. Is a call on Joshua's behalf, or, or on you know, Joshua is calling them to finish what what the, what they have started. And there are several verses in this chapter where Joshua commends them for what they've already done and for their faithfulness, but yet he calls them to go even further. In verses starting there in verse 6, he begins to echo the same things that God had told him three times. In Joshua chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, God had told him three times to be courageous, and that's what he tells them to be. Be courageous. Putting their faith in God requires courage. And Joshua very well knows that, that courage requires making unpopular decisions. It requires consistency. It requires constancy. It requires, as, he, as it's said here, to be focused, not being easily distracted, as it's stated here, turning from the right or to the left. and Some believe that that's a reference there to uh, both extremes total ignoring of God's word and yet adding to God's word. You know, getting caught up in what the Pharisees were about, legalism. God's word is sufficient. And of course, in order to follow God's word, they have to know God's word. And Joshua already had a pretty strong faith at the beginning of the book. You know, when we opened up, when we opened this book in chapter one, Joshua was 83 years old. He already had a pretty strong faith. We spent quite a bit of time looking at that, reviewing some of the incidents that he had been involved with in the books of Exodus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. And yet I've got to believe that his faith was much stronger now. That as he continued to grow old, his faith only increased. And that certainly should be each of our desire. That should be what each one of us desires to do. We shouldn't become complacent. We should expect that our faith can continue to grow as we see the Lord work. Joshua certainly no doubt understands much better now the definition of success than he did even back when he was 83 years old at the beginning of the book. And he's not, you know, he's not, it's very clear here. It says, notice in the, in the middle of verse number six, and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses. That's what they were to obey was God's word. That's what we're to obey. We have much more of God's word today than they ever did back then, and yet that's to be our standard. When we, when we are measuring whether or not we are being, being obedient to the Lord, it is in light of God's word that we do that. Verse number seven, Joshua says they were to, they were not to come among these nations, these Canaanites, these, these remnants. They were to go against the exact opposite. Come not means do not associate with them. The same thing we have there in verse number 12. Notice at the end of verse number 12 it says, And go in unto them. They were not to go in unto them. They were not to associate with them. Making an allegiance with with them would draw them into idolatry. Joshua says there in verse number 7, Don't give any credibility whatsoever to the names of their gods. Don't even mention their names. I like the way Matthew Henry puts it. He says, the names of other gods, the names of God's rivals, whether they're Baal or Dagon or Buddha or whatever, we should loathe those things. We should detest those things. They're, they're not even to be compared with God. The reference there in verse 7 says, Do not cause to swear by them. That would That would prohibit them from entering into any covenants with the Canaanites. Regardless of how lucrative a deal might seem, or how financially beneficial it might be, they were not to enter any covenants with the Canaanites. And of course, you know we 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 always should be looking at these verses in light of what they mean to us as New Testament believers. It's it's very foolish to dismiss any of these things as being you know three thousand years old and only for a people that that you know we can't identify with we can we're not going to do it but we can certainly turn to plenty of new testament scriptures first john 5:21 ends the book of first john where john says little children keep yourselves from idols separation is no less important to new testament christians than it was to god's people back then romans 12:2 tells us be not conformed to this world but be transformed to the will of god 1 Corinthians 7.39 and 2 Corinthians 6.14 tell us Christians are only to marry Christians. And we could go on and on and on. Many of us are very familiar with all of the, the commands that we have in the New Testament to be very careful who we associate with and who we align ourselves with and who we marry. Separation is very important. Verse number 8 says, But cleave unto the Lord your God as ye have done unto this day. There's Joshua commending them for their faithfulness, but yet calling them to continue. Don't let up. He's basically saying, see, you can do it. You've been doing it, but keep on doing it. This, this generation at the, you know, in chapter 24, he's going to commend them for their faithfulness, for having been faithful to the Lord. And it's only one generation later when we get to the first chapter, you know, it, and and when you get to the book of Judges where, you know, it says that nation didn't know the Lord and they chose a different path. What a what a stark contrast. Of course, cleave, we, we know what that means. It, it means to be attached. I mean, like a tick or a leech. It shouldn't be it shouldn't be easy for people to interfere with our relationship with the Lord. It should be something that we are attached to, that we will not let go of. Verse number nine. God drove out their enemies, but he did it through them. No man was able to stand against them. As Rahab had stated, the the hearts of the people melted when they saw what God had done through the people. And, you know, Joshua's usually, he's using this to underscore just how faithful and just how powerful God is. You notice the, the descriptive words that he uses there. He says, the Lord hath driven out from before you great nations and strong. Certainly something that people can identify as a very difficult task, if not an impossible task, without the Lord. And that's the point. Joshua continues to try to drive home home that point. They had no chance by themselves. They never had a chance by themselves. This was all of the Lord. God was the one that was able to drive out these nations that were great and strong. That's what he's saying. They're no match for God. Exodus 15.3 in the Song of Moses, Moses says the Lord is a man of war. God fights for his people. In Joshua 7, 12, and 13, we don't need to turn back there. That's not a contradiction. This isn't a contradiction of that. We know that when the men went up to Ai, they came back, and they weren't able to stand against Ai, and yet this says no one's going to be able to stand against them. Joshua seven, twelve, and 13 makes it perfectly clear why. The Lord was the one that defeated the Israelites. It wasn't Ai. God wasn't with them, and he wasn't going to allow them to have the victory because of the, the sin of Achan, because of the accursed thing. And so as long as they were faithful to the Lord, nobody was going to be able to stand against them. In verse number 10, it says, one man of you shall chase a thousand for the Lord your God, he it is that fighteth for you as he has promised. That would have been very encouraging to them from the standpoint that they, they have, their armies have now disbanded. They, they are dispersed. They are no longer unified in, and, you know, waging an entire war against the entire, you know, against the, the land as a whole. Now it's up to each tribe individually to defend their land. But yet, God is saying this to them that they are to be no less intimidated by those that remain. They they don't need to be scared or fearful of the remaining Canaanites. And we know that we we see examples in Scripture of the Lord working miraculously through His people, where they are able to withstand incredible odds. We we could get to, we could go to the Book of Judges in chapter fifteen, and we see that Samson, as we all know, killed a thousand Philistines with a bone. We know in the book of 1 Samuel that Jonathan and his armor bearer were able to kill 20. We know in Second Samuel 23 that David's mighty men, Adino, one man withstood 800. The Bible says it one time. So there are plenty of instances where God demonstrated that this was indeed true, that they were going to be able to withstand incredible odds as a result of his fighting for them. Of course, we all know we can't, none of us can accomplish anything. We can't accomplish great things, let alone anything, without the Lord. But with the Lord, we can do incredible things as we see these people were able to. Verse number 11. This is the same sentiment that was echoed in chapter 22. He says, But take good or diligent heed, therefore, unto yourselves that, the, that you love the Lord your God. This is taking personal responsibility. You are responsible for your relationship with the Lord. I cannot force my children to have a relationship with the Lord. I cannot force them to, you know, do whatever my wishes are. They are responsible for their relationship with the Lord. It's not my responsibility for their relationship it's not my parents responsibility for my relationship as I look back on my life and I've said this before all of the the poor decisions that I've made I don't have anybody to blame for other than myself nobody I just that's foolishness to look back and well you know if my mom and dad would have done this or my youth pastor would have done this or you know nonsense I'm the one that's responsible for the decisions that I made. And that's what Joshua's was telling him. You, yourselves, take heed. Take diligent heed. You need to love the Lord your God. Love of the Lord is what's going to motivate us to be obedient to Him. Same principle with our spouse. It's much easier to be unfaithful to our spouse. We don't love our spouse. We love our spouse. Fidelity Just like our love for the Lord is going to allow us to be faithful. Verse number 12. Joshua continues the warning to not allow themselves to go back into idolatry by cleaving to the wrong things and the wrong people. He's telling them they need to be extremely careful and guard against becoming in tune with the world. You know, we are bombarded today with with uh, pressure to approve and celebrate and condone all kinds of immorality. I mean, you know, we just look to the example of homosexuality as, as the, the thing thing that is very common in our country right now to to be the hot-button issue that, you know, you you are certainly demonstrating that you're one of the most tolerant people in the entire world if you will condone and promote that regardless of whether or not it's a clear violation of God's teaching but many who claim the name of the lord do go back they do they they abandon the lord they forsake the lord and that's this is what joshua is is encouraging them not to do many don't find satisfaction in the things of the lord and joshua is you know joshua has repeatedly emphasized the importance of who we spend time with and who we allow to influence us all of the sinfulness, the promiscuity, the homosexuality, the greed, I think they all influence us a lot more than we probably really would, would like to admit. Years ago, I, I taught junior high at, a, at another church, the junior high Sunday school, and I remember one time we were having a discussion about favorite television programs. And, and there were some young people in the group that were not shy about making it clear that their favorite television program was Friends and if you know anything about that show, I mean, you need only watch five minutes of it and you'll know exactly what it's about. It's about promiscuity. And, you know, the reason I, I think about that so much was because years later, those same young people that were proclaiming how that was their favorite program, that's how they lived. And it's very foolish for us to think that what we watch on the television, is not going to influence us. What we allow our children to watch is not going to have a tremendous impact on their life. What type of music we allow them to listen to. Those things are of critical importance. That's the message that is being portrayed here. Earlier this week, I I turned on the television and I got about three or four channels, so I don't have a whole lot of choices. And I was watching a public television a PBS show on reptiles I generally like watching that kind of stuff and about two minutes into the show they began to exclaim you know proclaim how that you know we were reptiles 200 million years ago I mean you know how it is they all go the same way and it became very clear that was the point of the show I just turned it off just total nonsense I, I don't need to Fill my mind with that garbage and that trash. I mean, that—that was the point of the show. That's the where. That's the way they're all going. I went to the zoo on Friday. If you've been to the zoo, you know how it is. Every display has to have to has to end with every animal's endangered because you know people are destroying the planet. It doesn't matter what what animal it is. I mean, if you believed everything the zoo told you, there's not a plant, there's not an animal on the planet that isn't endangered. I mean, that's that's the message. You know, forget about, you know, God giving us dominion over the earth. I mean, that's, that's the way it is. And then, of course, you know, and I could go on and on and on about all the stuff at the zoo that, that is, you know, promoting evolution. But this is the world that we live in. And this is the world that we have to guard against. We've got to make sure that we formulate our opinions about based on what the Bible says and what God says. Joshua continues the warning here in verse number 13. It's a stern warning. Notice the words that he chooses. Know for a certainty. God keeps His promises. Not just the ones we like. A lot of people are, are very grateful that God keeps His promises about the good things, but... You know, the last four or five verses of this this chapter are devoted to nothing more than Joshua saying, you know what, God keeps His promises about the evil things too. God keeps His promises about judgment and about punishment just as much as He keeps His promises about the good things. He refers to these things in verse 13 as snares and traps that are not easily detected. And usually when somebody detects a snare or a trap, it's too late at that point. Faithfulness to God requires discernment discernment and prayer to detect these types of things. You know, and he tells them here in these verses that God's going to take this land away from them if they will not be faithful to Him. He just repeats that over and over. You're going to perish off of this good land. You're going to lose it. And we know they did eventually. The Babylonians came in 800 years later and Carted them off, and they were gone for seventy years. And they doubted the faithfulness of the Lord. They doubted that God meant what He said. God means what He says. Notice the irony of God's judgment. You know, many times God's judgment is simply just giving us what we want. You know, as the Pastor keeps saying about Romans one, God just gives them over to homosexuality. That is the judgment. Well, that's the judgment here. You know, Joshua says, you know, if you want the Canaanites, God's position is going to be, then you can have the Canaanites. And they're going to destroy you. They're going to lead you to death. So, you better be very careful what you wish for. They're going to be scourges in your sides and thorns in your eyes. God will use them as the punishment. We see here again in verse 14, Joshua acknowledging his mortality. Hebrews 9.27, we're all familiar, it is appointed unto man once to die. Everybody dies. Everybody goes the way of all the earth. We, We don't have an exception. And yet he reminds them that God has been faithful and God has been good. And knowledge of God's goodness should cause them to trust that God will continue to be good. Notice the way it's put there. Verse number 14. All, right in the middle of the verse, all the good things. All are come to pass. If you're, if you're one of those that, that, writes in your Bible, maybe you want to under, underline the word all. Not just a few good things. They couldn't just point to a few good things that God had done. No, lots of good things. All the good things. The word good appears just here in these last four or five verses is six times. All the good things. God had promised them victory, delivered it. God had promised them rest, they have it. God had promised them plenty, they have it. God had promised them His presence among them, they have it. And we could just go on and on and on. Just about the things that are recorded here in Scripture. God is good. He was good to them. He is good to us. Verse number 15 Just as God, you know, He's reminding them again, just as God rewards those who are faithful, God punishes those who are unfaithful. And of course we do the same with our children. And you know what? Sometimes a threat is a good motivating factor. That's exactly what God's doing here. These are threats. But these aren't idle threats. God intends to make good on these threats. It's a waste of time as a parent to make a threat to your children that you don't plan on keeping. You just make a mockery out of your parenthood. I, I know there was a lady in the church here just not too long ago, and she was always talking about consequences. There never were any. I would hear her back there in the foyer telling her kids about consequences. I never saw any. What a What a joke. Joshua says, you, you, better, you better take heed to what the Lord says here. The Lord means what He says. He will carry out these threats. Joshua had, had seen that on so many occasions. Here's a guy who's going on 110 years old. He knew he had saw God's judgment firsthand. He had seen it, God's wrath carried out on many people. And he could just envision what future generations would experience if they weren't being faithful to the Lord. So he was he was doing his best to encourage them the best that he know, knew how to be faithful to the Lord. Also notice here the way it's stated. The Lord, in the middle of verse 15, the Lord will bring upon you all evil things. God doesn't just allow evil to happen. He causes evil to happen. Amos 3.6 Is there evil in the city and the Lord hath not done it? I remember back in 2001 when the bombs hit the World Trade Centers and they sent everybody home from work before noon and I was driving home and I was listening to the radio and the, the commentators on the radio were talking about how there was no way that God was behind that. And I called into that radio show and I said, how do you know that? Well, God is love. What foolishness. I mean, it's one thing to, you know, I don't claim to have all the answers. I know I don't. I don't know why God does what he does. But to emphatically state that God didn't cause that to happen, that's incredibly naive. That's incredibly foolish. That is lacking humility of any kind. To think that God would not come down on our nation for our sinfulness in that way. Now, you know, I can't stand up here and emphatically say that He did, but I can, I can, I can emphatically say that nobody knows for sure that He didn't. And that was the point that they were trying to make. Amos 3.3 3, there Shall there be evil in the city and the Lord hath not done it? Verse 16, the warning continues. He says to serve other gods is to transgress the covenant of God. To discard it. To throw it away. To, to trample on it. To ignore it. To consider it of no value. God never takes sin lightly. And I know I need reminded of that frequently. God doesn't take sin lightly. It angers him. James 4, 4 says, Know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. It is wise to quickly repent when we realize that we have sinned against the Lord. We don't know how quick God's judgment is coming. God is patient, He's merciful, He's long-suffering. But He doesn't work according to our timetable. He just doesn't. And so for those of us that are stubborn and holding out, dangerous position to be in, God doesn't want us to delay in seeking forgiveness. Here in verse 16 again, Joshua reminds them that the promised land is a good land. That God is good. And those that forsake the Lord miss out on so much that is good. And, you know, when when you realize that you've missed out on something good, it just makes it all the more miserable. <laughs> you know, I, it's, it's beyond my comprehension to imagine spending eternity in hell thinking about what you missed out on. You know, none of us can comprehend eternity. It's just one of those things that is difficult to understand. And yet that's what those people are going to have to to, to to ponder. They have missed out on heaven. That's beyond all measure. It's eternal. I, I don't know what could be more miserable. And that's that's what Josh was saying to these people here. You, you've been given something that is so good, so wonderful, and yet you could lose it you know the, the lord he promises he's going to take it from you if you will if you forsake him if you refuse to to be faithful to him and obedient to you to him he's he's going to take it from you all right we are we are done anybody have anything they want to contribute we, we do have a couple of minutes anybody have anything they want to